Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Terry. This is a, uh, we're wrapping up the book of 1 Timothy today, as we've been talking about the church and um, the teaching of the church and how we're supposed to work within the church with one another, how we're supposed to behave one, one, toward one another, care for one another. And so we're finishing this up um, beginning on June 5th. We're going to start a new series in the book of Genesis um, titled, What Went Wrong? <laughs> Uh, So we're going to go right back to the very beginning and see how God made everything, how we messed it up, but how Jesus makes it right. Um, And so it's going to be a great time to invite people in um, because these are very confusing chapters of the Bible that I hope we can clear up a bit um, or at least um, see how they point us to Christ and toward his fullness. But today we're wrapping up 1 Timothy and we're we're right here at the end of this letter. So uh, Timothy is a guy who lives in a city called Ephesus. We're just going to recap here real quick. Timothy's a guy who lives in the city of Ephesus. He's traveled around with this guy named Paul. Paul was uh, what we call an apostle, a sent one. Jesus himself appeared to Paul and made Paul into an apostle, one who is sent by Jesus to share the good news of Jesus with everybody. And Paul had been starting new churches all over the place. One of his protégés, one of his apprentices, was a guy named Timothy. Timothy had been learning under Paul how to pastor people and how to teach them about God, and he'd been learning the good news of Jesus directly from this guy Paul. And they get to Ephesus, and Paul starts a church in the city of Ephesus, which is a port city. It's a major, major commercial center for Asia Minor, for the Roman Empire at the time. So it's got all kinds of different people living in it. And when they plant this church and they get it going, they set it up, Paul spends a couple of years in Ephesus training up the leaders of the city to be what we call elders in the church. These are the leaders, the teachers, the people who have been taught how to lead people into relationship with Jesus. And Paul leaves Timothy there and says, Timothy, I want you to stay here and be the chief elder of the city of Ephesus. We call that a bishop. He is the bishop, the pastor of the pastors, the elder of the elders, the one who leads them and teaches them. And so as Timothy is leading these churches and these elders in the city of Ephesus, the apostle Paul has been traveling around some more, and he writes this letter to Timothy, this young pastor of pastors, and that's what we've been reading in 1 Timothy, this letter that the elder Paul has been writing to the bishop Timothy about how to lead the churches in this great cosmopolitan pagan city of Ephesus. And so here we're at the very end, the last words that Paul has to say to Timothy in this particular letter. And so he's wrapping up all of his teaching. He's, he's kind of putting a bow on it all. 
And he does something that almost every rabbi in the history of Judaism has ever done. You see, Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, was a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of the faith within Judaism. And because Christianity is Jewish, because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi who came to teach us the way, who came to be Messiah and to open up the faith and open up the kingdom of God to absolutely everybody, anybody who would follow him, Paul is now a rabbi for Jesus. He is a teacher for Christ. He's a leader for Jesus, teaching people to live the way of Jesus. And so Paul does what every rabbi has ever done, and he sets up these two ways of living. You see, throughout the history of Christianity and Judaism before it, throughout the history of the church uh, and the Jewish people, there's been this theme of the two ways of living. And we see this most clearly in the very first Psalm, in Psalm 1. So listen to Psalm 1. It's only six short verses. But this is a major theme throughout the teaching of both Judaism and Christianity. Psalm 1 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And that's the synopsis of this psalm, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And this is a pattern, this is a theme, a motif that comes up over and over and over again. And every great rabbi has taught about the two ways of life. The way of life of faithfulness to Yahweh, faithfulness to God, and the way of life that leads to destruction, the way of the wicked. And so here at the end of 1 Timothy, when Paul is wrapping up his instructions to the Bishop Timothy, Paul picks up this theme because he's trained in it. This is how he thinks. Paul thinks of all of life in, for, in terms of two ways. Only now, instead of the way of earning my earning my place in God's family through obedience to the law, he's talking and teaching about the way of Jesus, the way of faithfulness to Christ, the way of faithfulness to Jesus versus every other way of life, versus everything else we could do. And specifically in 1 Timothy, Paul is talking about the way of Jesus versus the way of false doctrine, the way of those who would teach and who would lead and, and seem like they're following Jesus, but in fact, they're leading away from him by emphasizing things that Jesus never emphasized, by putting a hard point on things that Jesus never called us to, by emphasizing certain kinds of obedience to earn God's favor, or by emphasizing that, hey, if you follow Jesus, life will be easy for you. If you just follow Jesus, you'll get all the desires of your heart. You'll get everything you ever want. Your faith will make you wealthy. Your faith will provide you with good health forever. Your faith will ensure that you never suffer and you never struggle. And that's the false teaching that the Apostle Paul is talking about right here. As he's contrasting the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous just like Psalm 1, and just like his training as a rabbi would have him do. 
And so Paul begins this section by talking about the way of false doctrine built on greed. These words are, are kind of confusing if you don't have a background, if, if you haven't been reading through the letter. And so he begins, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And so Paul, I love how he lays all this out, and he's just telling you, look, these false teachers in the church, there's nothing good about them. Nothing. Don't listen to them. Don't follow them. Don't obey them. Don't think that what they're telling you is true. And he goes through all these kind of character attributes of them. And then finally he gets to his point at the end where he says, these are the people who think that godliness is a way to material gain. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? If you've been in the Christian church and in the Protestant church for any amount of time at all, you have heard preachers who will tell you, that faith in Jesus is a way to get everything that you ever wanted. That faith in Jesus is a way to make sure that you are materially well-off, that you are wealthy, that you are healthy, that no sickness can touch you, that you will not suffer in life. And then, and then comes the kicker, then comes the real point where they kick you in the pants. Because they'll tell you, the way of Jesus is a way to get everything you ever wanted. And by the way, if you're following Jesus and you don't have everything you ever wanted, it's because your faith is weak. And they've totally missed it. These are false teachers. If you hear anyone even coming close to that, walk away. Do not listen to them. Reject that teaching. Reject those teachers. They are heretics. They are false teachers. When I was growing up, they were the only ones on TV almost. We would see people like Creflo Dollar and Jesse Duplantis and Joyce Meyer and later Paula White. We'll call names here because these are false teachers. They will tell you that you can get what you want if you only have faith and you only follow Jesus. And then they'll turn it around on you and say, well, if you didn't get it, it's your faith. It's the problem. And here's the great irony. <clears throat> these multi-million dollar ministries these people who are flying their private jets and living in their multi-million dollar homes, they're doing so on the back of poor people who have given them their money in the hopes that giving to them will enrich them. They are oppressors and they are evil. Walk away. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about these false teachers in the church who are enriching themselves on the backs of poor Christians who can't afford to give any more on the promise that if they do, they'll receive material blessings and health and wealth and no suffering. That's evil. And today we reject that teaching. And in the day of Paul and Timothy, in these first days of the early church, the same teaching was there. It's amazing that these teachers can get away with this stuff when the very scripture that they claim to uphold and love 
speaks against them so plainly, so clearly. Listen carefully. If your faith in Jesus oppresses anyone, it is not faith in Jesus. If your faith in Jesus puts others down for not having enough faith, if your faith in Jesus enriches you at the expense of other people, it is not faith in Jesus. It is faith in wealth. It is faith in the idol of money. And that's precisely what we're being warned against. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He says, look, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If I can be content with what I have, he says, if we're clothed and fed, that will be enough. Jesus will be enough for us. If we're clothed and fed, we can be content. Now, it's, I love here, though, that he does say, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Because what it does say is your material needs do matter. Material needs absolutely matter. We cannot go out in the world preaching the gospel and teaching theology and overlooking people's material needs. You cannot preach the gospel to a hungry belly. And if your gospel does not fill hungry bellies, it is not the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul makes it abundantly clear. Material needs matter. But material wants do not. Material needs matter. But if we're following Jesus just to get stuff from him and to get stuff from other people, we've abandoned the faith. We're not about Jesus. We're about ourselves. And so our good news of Jesus, our gospel of Jesus is one that goes and feeds hungry bellies and clothes naked people just as Jesus commanded us to do and then shares the good news of salvation through him. Because we recognize contentment can't exist without Christ on one hand, but without the material needs on the other. And so we make sure people's basic needs are met. And then we share the good news of Jesus to tell them that their spiritual needs have also been met. We don't pursue the material things of the world. We don't pursue wealth. We don't pursue material gain. And we never, ever make the faith of Jesus something about making me rich. It's about enriching others. And so Paul begins with this statement, begins with the way of the wicked, pursuing material gain in the name of Jesus, pursuing wealth in the name of faith in Christ. And then he goes on to give us the true way. Remember, he's contrasting these two ways. And so he says then to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee from these things. That is, flee from the pursuit of material gain by your faithfulness to Jesus, by your service. Flee from greed and self-reliance. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. 
He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Now, Paul begins this little section with pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue gentleness and love and faith and endurance. It's ironic that Paul says, pursue gentleness, and then immediately follows with, fight the good fight of the faith. He's not talking about physical fighting. Too many of us think that Christianity is something that needs to be violently defended. If your faith needs to be violently defended, it's not the faith of Jesus. Paul is saying here, in fight the good fight of faith, is, is contend for the faith. It's not going to be easy to live a godly life. The false teachers were teaching that. The false teachers were teaching, if you just have faith enough, everything will come to you and everything will be easy for you. You won't suffer. Paul makes it clear. Living a life for Jesus will be a struggle. You will have to contend. You will have to fight to endure, to pursue contentment, to pursue righteousness and godliness. You'll have to fight for your faith. It's not always going to be easy to hold on to this faith. It's not always going to be easy to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will mean making decisions and doing things that are weird and strange to other people and offend them. Following Jesus will mean living a life that is different and marked out. And sometimes that difference and that being marked out will cause you to lose relationships. It'll cause you to lose stuff that you could otherwise have. It'll cause you to turn down lucrative opportunities because it's not the right thing and it's not glorifying to Jesus. And that's weird. That's odd. And it'll put you at odds with people. And so Paul makes it clear. you got to fight the good fight of faith. It's not going to be a simple thing. Not everything is going to come to you. That's what... (coughs) Excuse me. That's what the false teachers want you to believe. But that is false teaching. And so Paul makes it clear. But he says, he goes on to say that, that you, you, I want you to keep this. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you to hold on to your faith right up until Jesus returns. That is, keep going, keep enduring right up until Jesus returns. And then as Paul always does, we've talked about this before. As Paul always does, when he gets, start, when he gets a role talking about Jesus, When Paul gets excited talking about Jesus, he always ends with a doxology. That is a word of glory about Jesus. He just can't help himself. Like he starts talking about Jesus and how great Jesus is. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Paul gets so excited talking about Jesus, he can't help. It's like his pen just keeps going. Like he just keeps writing. How would it be if you and I were so in love with Jesus, we were so enamored of Christ, we were so energized by this fighting the good fight of faith, that we were so into following Jesus and pursuing him with everything that we are, that every time we talked about him, we couldn't help but keep going. Like we, we just couldn't help but let it overflow in praise and glory and doxology. That's what Paul's doing. That's the path toward fighting the good fight. We will not 
be able to endure in our faith and fight the good fight of faith if we are not excited about who Jesus is. If we are not in love with him, enamored of him, if we can't look upon him all the time with with utter astonishment and praise, we will not endure in our faith. I want to pursue Jesus with my whole heart. I want to pursue him so much that the, the, the fight of the faith is not wearing down to me, but the enduring in faith is a great joy because every time I look upon Jesus, I just can't help but worship. I can't help but praise him. I just want to give him everything every time I gaze upon him, every time I look upon him. And that's the way That's the way to pursue Jesus. That's the way to endure in this life of faith. When everything won't come to you easily, when it will occasionally be a struggle, when it will mean being at odds occasionally with the people in our lives or the world around us, the way to pursue Jesus, the way to endure in this faith is to be so caught up with him that there's no other choice but to live for him. I'll tell you, when you get a real glimpse of who Jesus is, when you get a real sight of who he is, when you you clearly see Jesus on the throne, ruling and reigning, when you clearly grasp what he has done for you upon that cross and in the resurrection, there is no choice but to live for him. There's no choice but to give him everything that I am. What other option is there? When you understand the lengths to which God has gone to wash your sin, the lengths to which God has gone to adopt you into his family, when we clearly see Jesus, there's no contest between pursuing wealth and the things of the world and pursuing Christ and all that he is and has for you and me and our world. There's just no contest anymore. And so Paul overflows in doxology, overflows in these words of glory. And he's pressing Timothy, I want this to be your attitude too. Fight the good fight of faith, endure. And then he, and then he turns. So now he's laid out the two ways of life. The one way of pursuing greed and wealth, pursuing faith as a means to material gain, pursuing faith as a means to getting wealth and making life easy for me, Versus fighting the good fight of faith and pursuing godliness and righteousness and contentment with what I have. And so now he's laid out these two ways, and now he's going to bring them together. Now here at the end, he's going to give us practical instructions. And this is what's great about this letter, is that Paul doesn't just like leave you with theology. Too many churches and schools do that. They just leave you with theology. Like, here's the good theology, now go and live your life. And you're like, yeah, okay, great, How do I, what do I do with this? Jesus is glorious, therefore blank. Well, Paul doesn't leave you there. Right now he's going to give practical applications. So right here at the end, Paul's like, okay, I've I've praised Jesus. I've shown you the two ways of life. Now what does this mean for your community? And then Paul writes to Timothy in the end here, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, 
to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Now, he begins here by saying, instruct those who are rich in the present age. And the very first thing to recognize is we are not all rich in the present age. Now, many of us in this room are. On a global standard, we are incredibly wealthy. But even locally, some of us in this room are very well off. And yet, we are not in this room all rich by the standards of our culture and by the standards of our community and our neighbors. And so we have to recognize first, these instructions may fall off the ears of some people because the response will be, well, I'm not rich. Now, here's why I think Paul's writing to those who are currently rich in the present age, and he doesn't mention those who are poor. Because the poor in this world in which Paul is writing understand their need. They see their need clearly. But throughout the history of the world, it has been universally true that the richer you are, the less you understand your own need. That the richer we are, the less we understand the true state of our souls and the true state of our need. It's so easy to imagine that because our material needs are met, all of our other needs are also met. It's so simple and it's so tempting to think that because I have everything I need and a lot of the stuff that I want, I'm therefore good in life. And in a materialistic, secularized world that we live in now, that's the temptation of almost everyone. If my physical needs are met, that's it. I'm good. I don't need anything more. And so Paul's instructions here are not necessarily only to those who have material wealth. His instructions here are to everyone who doesn't recognize their own need for Christ. And in a materialistic world, even the poorest of us can fall into that trap of thinking that our only needs are material. That our only needs are the clothing on our backs and the roof over our head and the food in our bellies. And yet, in a materialistic world, the message that we most need is that those, those needs are important, but they're not all. In fact, at the end of the day, they're not even the most important. That the most important need we have is the one of our souls. That our spiritual needs are the deepest, most important needs that we have. And so Paul's instructions here are to those who don't recognize their spiritual need for Christ, for those who don't recognize their spiritual need for community and for the family of God, to those, I want you to instruct them to set their hope not on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. Because money and possessions and materials are fleeting. They don't last. You can't take them with you. You can't do anything with them once you're gone, once you're done. You can set up your kids, but you can't take anything beyond here. And Paul wants you to know that that wealth that you're relying on could be gone tomorrow. I used to work for the Boston Rescue Mission. And I can't tell you how many clients I had who came in Many of them blowing smoke, but a number who weren't, who literally lost everything in no time. Who had owned homes and had families, and through one set of circumstance after another, ended up on the streets and in our shelter. 
and they thought everything was good then. And even then, these clients would come in and say, I had everything. I had it all. And when they weren't bragging or trying to get the respect of the other clients, when it was just me and them, I would see their heart, and I would see the brokenness of it. I had it all, and then this thing happened, and this thing happened, and this thing happened. And maybe one of those decisions was my bad one, but these others weren't. And through circumstance after circumstance after circumstance, now I find myself here, sleeping in a shelter with 20 other men sitting across from you helping me get my life back together. And they would tell you that your wealth is not secure. That none of the things that you trust in in the world are secure. They can be gone in a moment. And so Paul is writing to those people here and saying, your wealth is no security. You think it is because the world tells you that it is because you are judged by your productivity and by the wealth that you generate for yourself and for others. But that's uncertain. You can't put your hope in it. And so Paul says, instead of letting people keep their hope in their things and in their stuff, put your hope in the one eternally present, eternally secure thing, God himself. He will truly never leave you, never forsake you. He is the only bedrock that you can fully rely on and hold on to. No other relationship in your life, no other thing you possess, nothing in this world is as secure as the God who made you and came to earth as Jesus Christ for you. That is the only thing at the end of the day that you can fully and completely rely on. So put your hope in nothing else. Put all of your hope in God alone. The only sure thing. And so Paul then says, he goes on to say, now that you've put your hope in God alone, now that your hope is not in wealth and in the things, now you can be generous with it. Now you can give your stuff away. He says, instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure not here, but as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. You see, the only path toward true generosity in this world is to recognize the fleeting nature of all the material stuff. The only path toward true generosity in the here and now is to recognize that everything I have is a gift from God. It could be taken away at any moment. It doesn't really belong to me. It doesn't really belong to my kids. My life and all that I have are in the hands of my good God who gives freely. And if he has given to me freely, then I am to give freely to others. I am to be generous. And so it's a switch of values. This is what's so countercultural. This is what's so different and crazy about followers of Jesus. This is what sets us apart. To say that what I have in this world does not belong to me. 
All that I have gained in this world is not from the work of my two hands. No one is truly self-made because we get from God who gives generously and from the community that has supported us and from the parents who raised us and from the brothers and sisters who walk with us and from the people around us who pour into us. That there's no such thing as being self-made. There's no such thing as earning everything I've gotten because at some point everything is a gift from God the giver. And therefore I can be free. Once my material needs are met, once I have that food and clothing and shelter, once I have the things that my body needs to live, everything else is at God's disposal. There to be generously shared with those in need. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Not godliness with wealth. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Not godliness with selfish ambition. Godliness with contentment in this life. So God calls us, Paul here calls us to the only path toward true generosity. The recognition that all we have is a gift from the hand of our generous God. And ultimately his call is to imitate the self-giving life of our God who came to earth left a throne of glory, worshipped by angels, worshipped by creatures who would make you pee your pants. God in glory, existing eternally on the throne in heaven, decided, hey, you know what? I'd rather go down and be one of them so they can be with me. God who had everything he could ever need and had no need for you and me whatsoever, loved us so. And he said, I'll leave this place and go walk the dirt of the earth and experience every pain that humans experience and experience every lack that humans experience and experience every situation they could possibly be put in and know what it is to be tempted toward evil and know what it is to be one of them in order to give himself up for us, so that God, the author of life, laid down that life and experienced death on our behalf. There is no greater generosity than God has already given us in Jesus Christ. And when we are called to be equally generous, it is an imitation of the Christ who has saved us. It is an imitation of Jesus who has come and given us everything that we need. And so today, our challenge is to recognize the needs of our own souls in a materialistic world that tells us all we really need is the stuff that we can gain to recognize that my deepest need is for God alone. And that the only bedrock of hope is God alone. And from that foundation to live generously with open hands toward everyone around me, giving and loving and serving for the glory of God and the good of my neighbors. That's true life. That's the life that Paul calls truly life here in 1 Timothy. And that's the life that we are pursuing together as a family. Founded in the hope of God alone, 
generously giving to our neighbors, devoted to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that we would be a people who are radically generous, who recognize that the only sure hope, the only bedrock foundation for our lives is you alone that in the end, only you alone will not disappoint. Only you alone will be there for eternity. And God, I pray that we would be a people who follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by opening our hands, opening our homes, opening our lives, and giving generously. Giving generously to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.